Welcome back, everyone, to the weekly episode of the Real Japan Podcast. I am one of the hosts, Kenzo. And I am Feg. And as we do every week, we will be getting down with the latest headlines from Japan and giving everyone our take on them. But first, we'll see what Ferg has been doing for the past week in the mountains. Yes, sir. So, big week for me this past week. I had the Ooh. dreaded shaken for my car. I thought the... you were going to say the dreaded COVID. I was like, whoa. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, the shaken for listeners outside Japan. Kind of like the MOT in Britain, but it's like a basically a vehicle safety test, right? Yeah. The... Um, in, yeah, in the US we have inspections, but they're mm. basically you just pay the guy a hundred bucks and you're done yeah it's the same in the uk yeah whereas shaken here in japan is kind of a bigger deal right like yeah yeah it's a huge pain mm, it certainly is so i took mine to the garage and it cost me about one hundred thousand yen which was kind of roughly in line with what i was expecting yeah sounds about right yeah, yeah i mean i have a slightly older k car so you know as your car gets older, it, the cost of these inspections can really ramp up, can't it? Yeah, it's one of the ways that the Japanese government like uh, coaxes you into buying a new car on a regular basis. Is yeah, it's it's um it was it was strange for me, especially because because in the U.S. and maybe in the U.K. but like if you own like an old beater car, then it's really cheap to operate. Exactly. Because, yeah, you know, I mean, the the inspections are. I think it actually gets cheaper. You know, the older a car is, I'm, I'm assuming you know there's nothing you need to fix. Um, but over here, yeah, it's actually the the older a car is, the more expensive it is to register, which is kind of jarring. But in any case. Yeah, I mean, as you sort of alluded to, they say it's to keep more efficient cars on the road in order to keep emissions down, right? But... Oh, that's I mean, bullshit. It does seem to have the handy side effect of propping up the yeah, yeah. Uh, automotive industry. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of semi-considering, not really seriously considering. There's probably only like a 20% chance that I'll do it. But next time doing user shaken, have you ever done that? Oh no, I have not. But uh, I, I I know someone who who does. Really? Who did. did they say anything about it? Oh, sorry. Just for listeners, it's user shaken is like when instead of taking your car to a garage, you take it to the inspection center yourself and go through the tests yourself, so that you can cut fees perhaps by about half if you do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the person that, that I, I knew that did it, um, yeah, he said like, it's just a lot of papers, like, you know, shuffling papers around and you think you gotta like, you gotta go here to this office and then, you know, give this paper here and just a lot of stuff like that. So like, if you don't mind putting in the time, yeah, then it's, it's totally doable. Uh, but it's a huge pain. So most people, maybe rightfully so, just you know would rather pay a bit extra to get it done. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of where I am at the moment. Mm-hmm. Anyway, how how was your past week? Uh, our past week was um, yeah, didn't really you know staying inside. I, I went I went to another house viewing. Oh yeah, good yeah, stuff. Which was uh interesting. Hmm. So it was one of those like super modern homes. Oh really? Or yeah. like connected and things? Yeah, it was all connected. And, like the the floor plan was all like like ugh, like you know one of those like artsy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of liked it though. I don't know, dude. It's maybe not my place to say. And people have all kinds of different opinions about the things that they want in their homes. And maybe you would like that kind of. A connected home type vibe mm. but the thing that would worry me about purchasing a home like that is that in 20 years how is that connected technology gonna look you know like could yeah, you imagine if you bought a home with some connected technology or whatever the equivalent was in the year 2000 how it would look now it would be like one of those dated funny old kind of things yeah yeah yeah, that's definitely one thing I'm uh like whenever I do build my house, I'm I want to ensure that it's at least somewhat modular so I can you know, swap things out down the line. Because yeah, if it's that, like mm. if everything's like if it's like in, like I don't know, if something's like embedded in the wall, then you're kind of screwed if you ever want to swap it out. Yeah, that's although, the way to although, go. Although you isn't know, it? yeah, like arguably it would probably look better, you know, if things are like tucked away neatly. But yes, I'm, I'm need to be able to kind of strike that balance there mm. between you know upgradability and and with it not looking too like it was just thrown together. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So, but but yeah, it was it was cool. Yeah. Hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. All right, shall we move on to our news roundup of some of the major stories happening in Japan in the past week? Okie dokie. So uh, recently, Suga said to the press that he is committed to allowing couples to have different surnames. Now, in Japan, for listeners that aren't aware, you m- the vast majority of married couples have to take a single surname and usually of course this is the husband's surname yeah uh, so, uh, yeah for mm. all intents and purposes you pretty much have to have the same last name yes when exactly. you get married yeah i mean uh, as we were discussing before the podcast started actually if uh, a foreigner marries a japanese person the japanese person can in that case choose to keep their own name However, mm-hmm. that creates difficulties down the line because of the way Japan manages its family registries through the koseki system, where basically if you're on the same koseki, i.e. in the same family under the Japanese law, then you need to have the same surname. So this means that if, say, let's say, for example, a foreign man and a Japanese woman get married, and then they decide to each keep their respective surnames, then they have children down the line if the children are going to have Japanese citizenship they need to be on the Japanese family register and that means they're going to have to have the same surname as their mother now 
there are ways around that, but basically that's how it's going to work. But anyways, but, you know, of course that doesn't affect the vast, vast majority of couples in Japan. So just going mm. back to, back to that. The, uh, the UN Committee on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women said that Japan's law, as it stands, is discriminatory to women. So, I agree. Although, but having said that, I do agree that the way it works in society is pretty much discriminatory, yes? But mm. the law as it stands, there's nothing to stop the man changing his name, right? It just has to be one of the two. And in fact, there is this tradition in Japan of, well, like mukoiri, they call it, right? Like the groom going over to the bride's family instead of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, like, yeah, that, mm. that is true, yeah. So, you know, for example, if... I mean, it still happens these days, but maybe it was more common, you know, back sort of in the olden days. But if, like, say, the bride's family has no male children, they might, you know, that might be a kind of common situation in which the groom and say especially if the groom is like a younger son of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. his family he might go over to the bride's family and take the bride's surname instead and then it pres preserves the um you know the bride's sort of surname in her family line yeah but then uh, the i guess the counterpoint to that would be mm. that um like this whole notion that you need to preserve the surname to like you know yeah continue the line or whatever like in and of itself is discriminatory yes yes certainly yeah i agree yeah it's yeah it is outdated there's no way around it is yeah it? Mm -hmm. yeah it might it might have worked back when people were carrying swords and shit but in the modern age yeah it's probably not a not the best way to do it it's not gonna fly is it yeah no sir anyway so um Another news story. Sakura Omirukai, Abe's little parties that were the... Yeah, our favorite party animals. Source of great controversy. Yeah. Controversy. Um, over the past sort of five years or so, while Abe was still in office, basically had these cherry blossom viewing parties. And it turned out they were, you know, these taxpayer funded parties were being used to sort of invite and entertain uh backers political backers of Abe mm -hmm. and his supporters instead of kind of you know rewarding sort of athletes and other people who have contributed to sort of culture and you know the economy and uh, sport in Japan anyway so these parties are back in the news lately because it turns out that on the nights before the parties they were having these kind of fancy uh, banquets these fancy meals at hotels and typically, in a typical case, you know, if we just went in off the street and ordered these kind of banquets, they usually cost around 11,000 yen per head. So a little bit over, say, $100 or so per head. Mm. However, in the case of uh, Abe's sort of banquets before the Sakura Mirukai, the attendees only paid around 5,000 yen per head. So they were getting kind of like a real good deal yeah, on getting these the hookup. fancy meals. Yes, yeah. sir. And according to the articles I read, uh, Abe's office uh, covered the shortfall of approximately 8 million yen over a period of five years, starting in 2015. It's not really that much money, I suppose, in the grand scheme of political corruption. 
about 80,000 US dollars. But it yeah, does, yeah. you know, sort of point to a potential misuse of taxpayer funds. And there might be some difficult questions asked about Abbe's um, policies or, or his sort of behavior while he was in office, I suppose, in connection right, with right. that. Certainly the Sakura Murukai, which wasn't covered that largely in the press in the West, was, I think it did hurt the trust in Abe quite significantly in in Japan, along with the Moritomo Gakuen scandal, yeah. which we discussed. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, those two were the, were the big ones, for sure. Yes, sir. Yeah. And shall we move on quickly to the latest coronavirus numbers? Because it has... Oh, yeah. It has been spiking, unfortunately. So we're in wave number three. Yes, sir. As they're calling it. <laughs> yes, sir. So there were 2,506 new cases in the 24 hours leading up to 9 a.m. on the 26th of November. And just to sort of uh, remind listeners, the highest number ever recorded in Japan was 2,592 cases. So, you know, we're within sort of touching distance of the highest number ever of coronavirus. Yeah. Cases being recorded there. You know, this brings the total number of cases to 140,431 cases. And there were also 29 deaths in that same 24 hour period, which is the highest number of deaths ever uh, of Mm. coronavirus in, in Japan. And it brings the total number of deaths to 2,065. There were 481 cases in Tokyo. Fairly high. Not the highest number ever in Tokyo. But yeah, but we've definitely broken out of that. Because, you know, it would be between it would be between like 100 and 300. And just be in that range for the longest time. And then now it's finally broken out. And it's getting into the 400s. Exactly. Approaching 500, yeah. Exactly. And in quite a worrying sign. So there were 256 people uh, infected, new infections in Hokkaido, the northernmost prefecture of Japan, and which is quite a large number for Hokkaido, not the highest ever, but a large number. And there mm. were 74 people in Okinawa, the southernmost prefecture of Japan. And that is the largest, no, not the largest number in Okinawa ever, but the largest number since the prefecture adju- introduced its own kind of special alert system, right, which we did right. mention on this podcast, but when there was a spike in cases in Okinawa back uh, in August. So, you know, what it means basically is that we have coronavirus sort of, you know, spreading, it seems, quite rapidly, really across the entire nation. Yeah. Yeah, from from tip to toe, it looks like. From tip to toe, that's right. There were also the highest number of cases ever in Kanagawa, Hyogo Prefecture, and Mie Prefecture as well. So Mm. it's certainly quite worrying. Yeah. Um, And Tokyo, in the wake of this kind of recent increase in cases, uh, Tokyo, Osaka, Sapporo, and Nagoya, so basically a bunch of the biggest cities in Japan, all announced that they are going to ask kind of uh, stores and restaurants and bars and, you know, nightclubs and things to shorten their operating hours 
that shorten their opening hours, which I yeah. did mention last week, I think in regard to Tokyo, right? But mm-hmm. uh, other cities are now doing this as well to ask them not to operate between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. And it's only places to serve alcohol, right? Oh, is it? Asking. Yeah, well, I, I think mm. so anyway, which I, I thought was kind of another one of those half-assed measures. Yeah. Where it's like, well, okay, if you don't serve alcohol, then is it okay? I, mean, yeah, I, I guess certainly. so, right? But I don't really feel like... I, I mean, I understand the logic. You know, when people get drunk, they you know, don't wear their masks as they should and they get a bit closer than they should. So, like, I mean, the, the reasoning is is there. Like, it makes sense. But at the same time, it just seems like another one of those, it's like neither here nor there kind of policy decisions that, like, if you're going to do it, just do it. But I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Yeah, certainly. And... You know, these the kind of 10 a.m. to 5, uh, sorry, the 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. hours it is going to be affecting a lot of these, you know, the yoronomachi, right? The sort of like uh, the nightlife of Japan, the girls' right. bars, late night karaoke places, these mm-hmm, kind of places. Mm-hmm. And as we've discussed before, whether fairly or unfairly, they have been kind of like the the center of people's sort of criticism about spreading coronavirus, perhaps unfairly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also as well, just one more thing in the coronavirus uh, roundup. So the government's uh, go-to travel campaign is still ongoing, encouraging people to travel around the nation in the midst of this global pandemic. Yeah. And <laughs> perhaps they are finally starting to sort of... Um, reconsider the impact of this campaign and Mm -hmm. they will be uh asking the um or they will be suspending sorry the go-to campaign in some areas where there are many cases of coronavirus and it seems like hokkaido will be one of the first places to suspend um the go-to travel campaign and i think i've also seen osaka mentioned as well yeah i think those are the two at the moment that are having uh, new reservations suspended for, and I think existing ones too, although you get a refund, mm. but for the next, yeah, a couple of weeks, I think they said two two or three weeks, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Obviously this coronavirus mm-hmm. pandemic is extremely tough on the tourism businesses, but. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it does kind of make sense to, I think to sort of say to people, you know, stay put, for now while there's this mm-hmm. pandemic going on mm-hmm. and when it's under control we can start to travel again although you know they're asking you to stay put but only if you're going to one of those two areas if you're going somewhere else then it's like oh okay go right on ahead yeah yes exactly. which is kind of silly if you think about it mm. certainly yeah oh well shall we move on to our main stories for okay. this week well, uh, I'll I'll keep mine a bit short this week, but I thought it was an interesting one, so I'll go ahead and share it. But um, so I like many people. I I enjoy a good trip to the zoo. I, I like I like watching the animals. They're, they're they're fun to fun to just sit there and watch. But apparently in Japan, there is a glut of zoos. 
which which kind of makes sense i think anecdotally like i feel like every small municipality has some small zoo attached to it yes yeah and so what this has led to is a surplus of animals so there's all these zoos that they breed animals and they don't know what to do with them Yikes. And one such example is, um, I guess it's particularly uh, a problem, is uh, lions. The reason being that lions typically will have maybe three cubs per, uh, per pregnancy. Mm. And everyone loves a, a lion cub, right? You know, they're so adorable to watch. Uh, but the problem is when they become uh, mature... People aren't as uh, interested in mature lions, apparently. And Yikes. Yeah, and, and they eat a lot, right? I mean, those guys eat many pounds of meat a day. Mm. And so they, they cost a lot to maintain, which has led to zoos, you know, trying to get rid of them or, you know, trade them to other zoos, bartering, that kind of thing. And apparently, uh, if if you are and and you know, it needs to be said that you can't just not anyone can just buy a lion, but if you are a zoo proprietor, there's there's like a network that all the zoos are members of, where they, you know, they either trade or they buy and sell animals uh, within their their uh, the zoo network there, and apparently a lion is about a hundred thousand yen. Not Which that is, much, is it? Yeah, you know, it's about a thousand dollars for a lion, and this is in stark contrast to if, if you wanted to buy a cat. Just you know, you go into a pet shop, you want to buy a cat. If you want like a you know one of those classy purebred cats, a mini lion. Yeah, I mean those run. Those can be you know three hundred thousand yen for a cat, about three thousand dollars. So yeah, it's just kind of created this weird situation where uh, a lion is a third the price of a domestic cat in Japan. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, and just as an aside to this, this article was in the Asahi Shimbun, um, and I'm quoting the article here, but it says, according to a document produced by the Tokyo Metropolitan Government, the value of a lion is hundred thousand yen. And I, okay. I was just kind of staring at that statement. Well, like, what, like, what, a document. Yes, like, sir. What is this document? Is it like a price list for exotic animals or... You know what I mean? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what what's going on with, with this statement here. Yeah. Um. But I do feel that it's very, this is very Japanese journalism right here. Like they found this random document and now it is, and they don't question it or investigate it. It's just that, that, that is the fact. So since the Tokyo government said a lion is a hundred thousand yen, then a lion is a hundred thousand yen. And that's the end of the story. Yep. Well, if the government said it, it must be true. Yeah, it must be true. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and then just they had some other examples here. Like one zoo traded a rhino for 20 penguins. Which, I don't know. Who do you think got the better end of the deal on that one? Uh, I think maybe the person getting the rhino. You think so? You, you think one rhino is, is better than 20 penguins? Maybe, yeah, I guess so. What do rhinos eat? They eat grass and things, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah they eat grass, yeah. Oh, yeah, because penguins eat fish, huh? Yeah, so you got to feed those penguins with fish. Mm, that's true. Mm. Though you could probably get away with a smaller enclosure for the penguins. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I would prefer. I I, I would probably go with the rhino. Yeah. If it, if it were up to me. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and then it go, then the article goes on to talk about how there's this um this problem with uh, with smuggling. Okay. Yeah, because uh, you know zoos will you know get, get rid of you know their excess inventory you know which is kind of a sad way to refer to it but mm. that's the kind of the way they treat it and so besides so you know, so one way to go is just dealing directly with another zoo but then the other way they can go is there are these brokers and and they're licensed but you know it's kind of a bit more shady as as you might expect where they're not affiliated with a particular zoo they're just kind yeah. of like a broker. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes these brokers will, you know, they'll buy an animal from a zoo and they, like, the animal will disappear, right, somewhere. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were smuggled out of the country or maybe they're in some rich guy's backyard now. Yeah. But yeah, these these poor animals are just they uh no one knows what happens to them, you know, they just kind of disappear. Mm. So shady backdoor yeah. door connections, eh? Mhm. Mm-hmm. They have one example where um so one of these brokers, he he purchased a zebra mm. from uh, one of the zoos. And he was and they needed they need a place to store the animals, right? Or you know, while they're looking for a buyer. Yeah. And he had, he was, uh, he kept it at like uh, an equestrian facility. Okay. Right, where they have horses and stuff. Mm. But apparently the, the fences were too low. Like they were, they were high enough for horses, but zebras have more, more hops, I guess. They can jump higher fences. Yeah. And so unfortunately, yeah, the zebra jumped the fence and uh, they had to sedate it, but when apparently the equestrian facility was next to a golf course. Oh no! And what so happened? there's there's a zebra running amok on the golf course, and they, you know, shot it with the sedation rifle, hmm. and they shot the zebra. But then, since it was sedated, it fell into the the water hazard. There was like a lake. Oh no! Yeah, and, and and it drowned. Oh no! Yeah. Which Yikes. uh Yeah, so it you know, it speaks to with you know with these brokers that the animals are not housed in the ideal conditions. You know, once once they leave the confines of 
the zoo. Mm. You know, it's like uh, what happens to them from that point is kind of anyone's guess. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's my story for that. We will have to be on the lookout, eh, and see if we see our neighbors putting out putting up any suspicious looking enclosures in their backyards. Yeah, I know, right? Mm. So, yep. That's it for me. All right, good stuff. So, the story I want to talk about is yet another politician involved in some shady dealings. As if you have not heard enough of these kind of stories on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, Konosuke Kokuba, he uh, is an LDP politician representing a kind of uh, district in Okinawa. And he founded a construction group called the Kokuba Gumi and then went on to serve as a prefectural councillor in Okinawa before. Um, representing the prefecture in the diet, basically the parliament of Japan, the House of Representatives, from around 2012. And he got into a lot of trouble back in April 2018 when he was out drinking, enjoying a wild night on the town in uh, Naha. Nice. Yep, the capital of Okinawa prefecture. Yep. And he's basically drinking all night. And unfortunately, when he emerged from a girl's bar in the early hours of the morning, he got into an altercation with a tourist. What? (laughs) He got into a a drunken street fight? Exactly. Uh, Allegedly. Allegedly, yes. Somehow, uh, in this altercation, he fell over and broke his ankle. (laughs) Okay. Now, you know, okay, drunken street fight. I guess that's not a good look for a politician anywhere. Yeah. But he could come back from this. Except, unfortunately, because the police got involved then, you know, obviously took kind of witness reports and things, I guess, from everyone there at the scene. Mm-hmm. It came out that Kokuba was with the manager, the female manager of this girl's bar that he had been visiting, with whom it seemed he was conducting an extramarital affair. Ooh. So he had been being a bit of a naughty boy, oh boy. and it all came out. Gets juicier, <laughs> juicier and juicier. Unfortunate confrontation. Yes, sir. And of course, as you know, regular listeners... I've probably guessed by now. I found this juicy little tidbit in good old Bunshin, Shukan Bunshin, tabloid magazine here in mm-hmm. Japan. And they did a big report on all this back in 2018 when it first happened. And they spoke to the uh, husband of the manager of the girls' bar because, you know, Kokuba was married and the woman he was having an affair oh, with. Oh, they were both married. <laughs> They were both married. Okay, well then that means they're on equal ground, right? So it's all good. (laughs) All good, yeah. At least that's not how their (laughs) respective spouses (laughs) view the situation. Oh. So the husband of the woman with whom he was having an affair is not named in the article. He has a false name, Takahashi. So I'll just call him Takashi as well, the same name as in the Bunshin article. 
But uh, in their original kind of scoop on this or exposure on this back in 2018, 20, uh, sorry, Bunshin spoke to Takahashi and they had this big kind of feature on it. And the <laughs> sorry, I'm just laughing as I think about what I'm about to tell you. But uh, they spoke to Takahashi in this big exposure and mm. Takahashi showed Bunshin apparently uh, line messages that were sent from Kokuba, <laughs> from Kokuba to Takahashi's wife at the time. Yeah. And they were saying things like, you know, I love you. I want to kiss you. Uh, I want to do a paisuri. Which... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> How would you describe paisuri for our listeners overseas? Well, it's... Uh... It's, uh, I don't know if we're allowed to say this on here. Yeah, well, maybe we'll leave that one for listeners. Listeners can well, go. It's basically look it up. when, uh, like there, there's a term for it in English, but mm. I'll, I'll refrain from using the term. But yeah. it's it's when a guy sticks his his man parts in between the woman's uh, breasts. Yeah, yeah, and you know that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, not kind of becoming of a politician to have all this come out in the in the press. Yeah. And it led to Kokoba's resignation from the kind of LDP, um, like the Okinawa Prefectural Federation. I'm not sure of the English name of it. Basically, like the Okinawa Federation of LDP politicians. So which, basically, which, like the, the the local branch of the LDP. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And he <laughs> he was the chairman of that, and. Uh, the the night that this whole altercation happened with the tourist was was actually the night when he was uh, appointed chairman of that federation. Oh, so it was like the celebration party. Yeah. Like, hey, you're the new chairman. And then... <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So he stepped down. He uh, resigned from from that federation, but did actually yeah. stay on as a politician. Um, and Takahashi began divorce proceedings against his wife. Mm. Um, and, the, you know, he did, in fact, the divorce was made official in December 2018. And in spring 2019, he filed a civil suit against Kokuba, uh, suing him for 3.3 million yen in Isharyo, it's called in Japan, which is yeah. like sort of um, kind of settlement money, I suppose you might say. Yeah. Emotional distress, money. It Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's and quite, and it, it, it yeah, it's it's quite common in in divorce cases where, where that involve a uh, extramarital affair. Um, like like say, you know, a spouse cheats on the. Uh, let's just say you know, like in this case, the woman was cheating on the man with with another man. So then the ex husband can go after the the boyfriend. For damages. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. So the result of this court case was that Kokuba denied the adultery, but it ended in a non-public settlement. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, make of that. Uh, kind of hard to weasel your way out of that one when you got those kinds of uh, steamy messages. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
And as I said, he did stay on as a politician and it seemed his career went okay after that because he is now the Vice Minister for Foreign Affairs in Suga's cabinet. Um, and wow, he, really? And in just a little kind of, yes, and in just a kind of little bonus tidbit hidden link for uh, attentive listeners of the Real Japan podcast. Yeah. We mentioned bribery in connection with the IRs, Integrated Resorts, the mm. casinos uh, here in Japan. And he has recently been in the news, Kokuba, for sort of opposing the uh, a politician called uh, Mikio Shimoji, who was expelled from Nippon Ishin uh, after admitting to receiving bribes from mm-hmm. a Chinese company looking to uh, bid on IRs. And he's now trying to uh, rejoin or, or sort of join the LDP and... Um, Kokuba has been in the news for kind of publicly opposing that. But anyway, that's besides the point of the story today. So, Kokuba's affair and the whole mess connected with it is now back in the news because good old Bunshin has somehow got hold of uh, an alleged <laughs> document called a Ben Meishou, um, you know, some a Japanese-like name of this document, an explanatory document. Mm-hmm. And it claims the boss of a certain group called the Kyokuryukai uh, did arrange a meeting between someone called Nishida and Takahashi, the person I mentioned earlier, the unnamed husband of the wife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, of the woman, sorry, with whom Kokobo was having an affair. And this is interesting because Kyokuryukai are a... Well, they're basically a boryokudan, a, a yakuza, a violent group. They're um, a crime syndicate. A crime syndicate, yes, sir, in Okinawa. They're actually the only um, designated sort of violent group or designated crime syndicate in Okinawa. Yeah, it's funny. In Japan, even the the crime families get like a special label from the government, you know? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I bet you like if, if you if you run a crime family... And you finally get that designation from the government. I mean, you're just like, yes. Like, now <laughs> now I hit the big time, you know? Yeah, right. Like it's a, it's, I'm officially, like, a, a big shot in the underworld. It's like getting made almost. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. And the government does it for you. Yeah, certainly, yeah. yeah. Um, so, apparently, it seems, according to articles that I read online and things, uh, Kyokuryukai, or Gyokuryukai, as it's called to insiders, Mm. Um, has around 520 members and apparently they're they're quite sort of active in um, backing like criminals who are looking to extend their operations um, from mainland Japan into Okinawa. Wow. That's mm. actually, I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're all criminals, but that's actually kind of cool, you know, that they're, like, because they're the only game in town, right? Basically. Yeah, yeah, the only big game in town. So yeah, and so they're like the the power brokers, you know. Exactly. Yeah. When it, it make for it make for a good Netflix series. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, when their leader, uh, Kiyoshi Tominaga, uh, died in July 2019, many kind of heads of the yakuza in Japan went down to Okinawa to pay their respects 
including Whoa. sort of the top bosses from the Rokudaime yeah. Yamaguchi and the Kobe <laughs> Yamaguchi. Wow. You know, the big Yakuza families in Japan. Mm. It's like watching a movie. Yeah, yeah, certainly, you know, like all, yeah. All like the, the heads of the families go to the, pay their respects, you know? Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, and I mentioned before that the... Uh, there was another person named in the document, uh, Nishida. Mm -hmm. And Nishida, who this person is, is Kenjiro Nishida. And he just so happens to be the father-in-law of good old Kokuba. Whoa, and what it okay. seems happens, or what is alleged to have happened in the article, is that Nishida asked the boss, the Socho, of Kyokuryukai to set up a meeting between him and Takahashi, the woman with whom, uh, the husband of, of the woman with whom Kokuba had an yeah. affair. And, uh, sorry, just to give a bit of background as well, Nishida is also a powerful kind of figure in local Okinawa uh, politics. He was mm -hmm. the chairman of the Okinawa Prefectural Federation and served on Okinawa Prefectural Council as well. But, and it, it uh, it seems that someone within Kyokuryukai had previously met or spoken to uh, Takahashi. So for that reason, there was a link there. And Nishida, the father-in-law, asked Kyokuryukai to arrange this meeting. Uh -huh. And according to Takahashi, as quoted in the article, the alleged meeting kind of took place around 7 p.m. on July, uh, in July 2018 in a cafe somewhere in Okinawa city, uh, not in Naha, in Okinawa city. Mm -hmm. And according to Takahashi, there were no other customers in the cafe <laughs> except for two men in dark suits. Oh man. Nishida, the father-in-law and the yeah. Socho, the boss of the, the local Yakuza. And uh, Nishida, at that meeting, apparently asked Takahashi to accept a an isharyo, this settlement fee of five hundred thousand yen. Five hundred thousand? That seems kind of they're lowballing him, man. They're lowballing him, but I yeah. guess you're in a position to lowball when you have the, you know, these scary people <laughs> backing you up. I guess. Mm. And uh, said, but they also said that in return. They would put in a good word. They would take care of For <laughs> They said they would put in a good word with uh, Takashi's now ex-wife, or, uh -huh. or separated wife, I guess they were at that point, uh, for to allow him to see his kids with whom, you know, he was living apart at that point. Ah, uh, I see. But Takashi did turn down the offer. Wow, then, that, he's got some. He's got some cojones. This got guy. some cojones, and it ended in the unpublic or the non-public, sorry, settlement in court. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier. And just to sort of say their side of the story. So, just quickly, final thing: Nishida, the father-in-law, uh, denied these allegations to Bunshin. He said <laughs> he doesn't course. know who Takashi is, and he has never had any ties <laughs> with any organized. I do not syndicate. know the man. I've never met him. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, sir. And in that document, the Ben Mayshaw that I mentioned before that uh, Bunshin somehow got hold of. Yeah. They, the Kokuryukai say that they did arrange the meeting, but that they did not request or demand that Takashi pay them any money. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, I mean, who knows whether it's true or whether it's tabloid nonsense, but, I mean, if it is true, it's certainly kind of, you know, dodgy to say the least, a, yeah. you know, a, a politician's sort of father-in-law getting some very shady people to... <laughs> Arrange a meeting. Arrange a meeting <laughs> with the husband of the woman with whom he was, you know, committing an affair. Yeah. Well, yes, hopefully, he, hopefully the poor Mr. Takahashi doesn't turn up dead soon. <laughs> yes, uh, stuffed in the boot of yeah. a car or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I pray for his safety. Hey, if it was me, I would be taking any settlement money and starting a new life somewhere else in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I would have taken the money and be like, okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to make enemies of the local crime group. Yeah, I know. Oof. Mm. Well, okay, we're uh, it's a bit shorter this week, but uh, I think we'll call it here. Yes, sir. Yep. So, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, and uh, you can uh, continue the conversation with us if you like on Twitter and Instagram. Our username on both of those is Real Japan Guys. And find us on our website at thereal.jp and email us at mail at thereal.jp. And find this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So with all that being said, we will see y'all again next week. Goodbye, listeners. Bye-bye.